There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, my name is Gabby Logan, and this is my podcast, Midpoint. Now, according to the Economic and Social Research Council, I have no idea exactly who they are, but they sound quite important. You stop being young at 35 and you start getting old at 58. So I guess your midpoint is somewhere in between those two numbers. I'm 47, so you can guess that this is quite a self-serving podcast, although I am fascinated in this period of our lives. Are we all still striving for physical perfection or have we given up the ghost? Maybe you've yet to achieve your life goal and you're still hunting for that perfect 2.4 kids and the back garden and the extension. And does any of that really matter anyway? Does it bring us happiness? We should know some stuff as midpointers. We should be wise and have things to offer to the younger generation. But all I offer my children are many moments for them to cringe. This week, my guest is definitely not somebody who induces cringe, he induces laughter. It's John Bishop, who is one of the highest grossing comedians in the UK. And in 2016, according to Forbes, he was one of the top 10 grossing comedians in the world. So he's achieved enormous success in his chosen field. But actually, John is perfect for this podcast because when he was 40, he was still a farmer rep. And that's when he chose to jack in selling drugs and enter the rock and roll world of stand-up comedy. That was a huge gamble, but it is one that has certainly paid off. And he's come round for a cup of tea. This episode is brought to you thanks to our very healthy friends at Solgar. Now, Solgar might not spring straight to mind, but with 70 years of experience in vitamins and supplements, they're quite literally the gold standard when it comes to keeping your body topped up with those vital minerals and vitamins. I like to think my diet's pretty healthy, but I know occasionally I do need to top it up and boost it here and there throughout the year. Personally, I love their rigorous attention to detail, from ingredient sourcing and formulation through to manufacture. They've crafted a diverse range of over 300 different evidence-backed formulas, which allows us all to personalise our nutritional support plan and optimise our health and performance. I'm pretty sure you'll recognise them. They've got gold lids and brown glass bottles. Very chic. They're also available online through Solgar, which is solgar.co.uk. And usually, I'd like to start at the age of 40, because you are unbelievably well-placed as somebody who, at 40 years old, if all of your online biographies are to be believed, that is when you <laughs> stopped selling drugs <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and launched yourself into a full-time comedian. So when you say you want to start at 40, you want me to explain myself well, that's, from the I mean, age it, of 40? It's amazing to, to, to make such a huge change in your life massive change where you're potentially you you know you don't know what you're going to earn you don't know how your life's going to be i had a a run-up to it you know i did my first open spot as a stand-up comedian when i was 35 so that's the that's the first time i walked on stage ever with the intention that's quite late though isn't it which is which in itself is is late it is very late compared to the way most people start but the 
and, and I suppose from what you're going, what you're coming from with this whole podcast series, that was probably the start of my midlife at that point where I'm going, why am I doing what I'm doing now? But I never thought it would evolve to anything else. It was just, it was literally one of those things that I think, well, oh, oh, I found myself in a situation when I was in a, a club and I was asked to get up and I just thought, well, I'll do it once and then, it'll, you know, I've done it. It wasn't a thing, it wasn't a desire to do. So by the time I did reach 40 and I decided to leave the job um, and cut all ties with it, I'd, I'd had five years of of learning that I could do it. So what was the goal then? Did you say to yourself, because you must have had some kind of parameters you were working within that if I haven't earned X amount by yeah. this next year or I've got to be appearing on what, the Apollo? What were the... No, no, it was very, like, uh, I'm not even sure the Apollo had started then or, or it was just starting. I think it was Jack D's show at that point. Um, no, my, my aspiration was not to need to report to someone else ever again. That was my aspiration. So I looked at it, and at the time I was doing a sportsman's dinners. I was getting a sportsman's dinner around about once a month. And I, and I, and I could get like 700 quid for it. And then you, you add that into doing a, a weekend, uh, a weekend at the comedy store or something like that, where you might be getting 150, 200 quid for a gig, and then you go, well, if I do them, and then particularly if I came down to London where you could do four gigs in a night, and then I started thinking, well, if I mix it up, because I was still living at the time up in Manchester, do a gig on a Tuesday night somewhere, and get 60 quid for that. So I was, I was picking all these little bits up and go, right, if I went self employed instead of being an employee on a PAYA, with a pension plan and all that, I could net nearly the same, you know, with the tax differential of being uh, self-employed. Because and it's not a crude question, because you've got three young kids. Yeah, yeah, this, this is, yeah. And a wife. Yeah, this is, this is like economics. This is me going, you know, I, I, I've got, and the kids were at the time at a fee-paying school, and you go, well, we've got that to cover. I've got a mortgage. Uh, you know, we've got, I've got my wife and Melanie at the time, uh, wasn't working because she couldn't work because I was I had a job and I was doing stand up comedy. So there's no mm. no place in the schedule for Melanie to be able to to do anything. And and we just sat down and she, she was brilliant, you know, because I left the job uh, with a pension plan, uh, health insurance, company car, expense allowance, massive career your, structure. Your coffee's here. Oh, good man. There you go. Anytime, sir. Thanks. There you go. And see, and Kenny's done well with his job change as well. <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got to make a lot of coffee though to yeah. make up for it being an international rugby player. But you know, so so there is a little bit where people go, oh, you can follow your dreams. You go, yeah, but your dreams have to have some basis of reality. Mm. You know, I would never advocate people just you know they go, oh, I'm forty, I'm bored with my job as well. So I've always wanted to be an artist and won't be one. You got to prove you can do it. Did you have a spreadsheet? Did you? Oh, I did the whole thing. Literally sat down, did it because again, that was one of the interesting things when I moved into stand-up comedy. I remember uh, meeting my agent now, Lisa, and sitting down with her, and she'd come to see me and said, "You know, I'd like to represent you." And I said, "Okay." And I went down for a meeting with her, 
And I, and I sent her an agenda in advance. <laughs> she said, no one's ever done Which that. comedian's <laughs> ever done that? I've got an agenda, like, item four. <laughs> so you, you had the confidence to feel you could earn a living and you knew people were laughing at the things you were saying. Yeah. Do you well, think, and you mentioned, oh, he's, he's quite he, good at he's it. He's yeah. a good coffee do you, maker. Do you think if you were a woman in that situation at 40, it would have been as easy. And you mentioned Mel kind of almost had to sacrifice what she was doing to yeah. keep everything going at home. Do you think a woman would have found it? Well, Melanie, see, see it, it evolved that situation because me and Melanie had split up. And when we'd split up for two years and we were living apart, the kids were with a child manor because she was at work and then they couldn't go to kids club and couldn't have friends back. So we got back together. And when we got back together, the agreement was she was going to give up work so that the kids could have some stability and enjoy the stuff that they'd not been able to do. And us getting back together and me leaving my job all happened within a three-year period, if you see what I mean. So it was kind of all part of the package. But, yeah, it was a big decision. And, and I think if, if I look at it from a male perspective, I can only look at the, the access points of, of going into comedy. And the reality is, it is a male-dominated industry. And it's not that women aren't funny or, it, or anything like that. It's the fact that people don't understand how lonely it is. Mm. You know, if you're a stand-up comedian, and it's great if you're doing arenas and everyone's looking after you, but to get to that level... You know, you've got a drive on a Tuesday night to go and do a gig in Leeds. Which, for 40 which for quid. if a woman had three kids, it'd be a lot harder, It'd be wouldn't unbelievable. It, to, to even if she's that. got a supportive partner, mm. uh, and it just and I don't even mean the the, the 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 driving somewhere and getting there. I don't I don't mean any of that. It's just that that little bit of you're on your own when you get there. You've got to you you know walk into some dodgy clubs of a night. You've got, then got to do your set, get paid, get out. It's all. It's not as conducive mm -hmm. to middle-aged men as it is to young men, and it's certainly not as conducive to, to women as and it is to men. And what about the young men, when you, or young women, or, you know, young people, when you are 35 starting out and then 40 doing it full-time, <laughs> you must have come across a lot of young comics who looked at you almost in a, a vuncular way. Well, yeah, what are you doing here, <laughs> Well, you know, what I found absolutely the best thing about comedy and falling into comedy is it's a uh, it's a little club you find yourself part of a society of these strange needy people who want to go on stage and make other people happy and and so as a result there's not a single comedian i don't respect and i haven't met a comedian who's who necessarily is um, judgmental of other comedians even if they don't like their style of comedy they don't mm. like what they do because everybody shares the fact that you walk on stage so if you happen to be the 40 year old bloke who's coming on stage doing a gig and there's another lad who's 17 you're in the same boat like I remember I was compared of Jack Whitehall's first gig at the comedy store and he'd come to do an open spot and he was only 18 and then and then, and I was, I was, you know, on the circuit doing a compare. Then he went to Manchester University, 
and phoned me up when he was at university because he started a comedy club and booked me for 40 quid. <laughs> <laughs> Literally for 40 quid, which he never gave me because he didn't get enough tickets. He paid me in laughing gas. So it was, <laughs> it was a, you know, there is, you're equal. You're very much equal. And that's why, um, you know, if you look at the older comedians, uh, you know, your, your Jimmy Tarbucks, Mick Miller. Mick Miller is an old-time comedian. He used to be on the comedians on telly. Mick's in his 70s. Every comic on the circuit ever works with Mick thinks he's brilliant. Age has got nothing to do with it. Age can help with so that's So which is unusual. A lot of, a lot of midlife changes that would be one of the fears that people would have, I guess, that you would, because I remember when we, uh, we lived in London and we were renting a house, we were doing a house up, and the house we were renting was a woman who was retraining from being a banker to becoming a doctor, and she was in her late yeah. 30s, which is a huge life Massive, change yeah. at that age. She had three kids, and I, I kind of felt that the huge rent we were paying was helping to fund the NHS because we were providing a new doctor. That's yeah. how I justified <laughs> it. And, um, and I, I had such respect for her because she, it was something she wanted to do her whole life, and she took that leap into doing it. She'd be working with young doctors, obviously. She was going back to college with kids, you know, who were, you know, coming through medical school. And that is quite daunting, isn't it? When you know stuff and you've had life experience, and then you're jumping you're, in. You're dealing with, well, that, uh, from a, again, from a comedian's point of view, it's great because you've got more material to, to, to draw on. <laughs> yeah, you've had more life, so you've got more to talk about. And that definitely helped me, but also, you know, like medicine is is a, um, what's the word that I'm after? Well, it's an yeah, no, it's an examination-based thing. Yeah, is yeah, it? You yeah, pass yeah, the yeah, exam, yeah, you're going to be yeah. qualified to be a Whereas doctor. Whereas, obviously, it's very subjective. Being uh, most things are subjective when you think about most careers. If you're applying for a job, somebody's got to approve you. There might be an interview of one person on an interview board. But when you're a comedian, you're getting interviewed by 150 people in the room. And therefore, it's a real meritocracy because if you say something, because it's instant communication, as soon as you stop speaking, people laugh or they don't laugh. Mm. That's the end of it. Mm. And you're judged in that second. And so it's a real meritocracy because if you get more people laughing than everybody else... You've won. <laughs> you've won. Everybody else on the lineup goes, he's good. And they do. it doesn't matter if you're, if you're 15, you know, or, or, you know, or you're, you're 70. If you've said something, everyone's laughed, you go, yeah, that's right. So this works well, this new career, and with it comes fame quite quickly. You know, you become well-known and people start to talk about you. And I wonder if that is easier to deal with when you are in your mid-years or whether it's even more confusing than it would be if you were younger. It's slightly confusing. And I know we've been having some conversations with our kids lately and they were saying how confusing it was for them because they were teenage kids who'd had an ordinary bloke as a dad and then and then there's somebody famous living in the house and that's a weird change. Is this a lockdown conversation by the way because it's interesting that lockdown does bring up stuff yeah, doesn't it yeah and that you, you might know, not have talked about for 20 years. No not all of it was positive they said they, you know because they people then expect them to be a mini version of the person that they've seen on the telly and mm. so and I think for, for the family, we went through a lot of changes. And it was unexpected changes mm. because I didn't, I basically wanted to, I said to Melanie, listen, I think if I do what I'm doing now and I get these sportsmen's dinners, it'll be enough. And I promise you, we'll be okay. And then the first year I didn't make as much. And we're having to borrow money 
against the house to pay for school fees and everything else. And then the same with the second year and the third year. I thought, God, we've, I've got to at least break even. Mm. And third year and then the fourth year went off. Had you not in that third year, do you think you'd have been back to selling pharmaceuticals? Well, I was already in uh, trying to put together uh, management presentation skills courses based at the comedy store <laughs> in Manchester. Going, come on, I'll teach your management team how to do presentations in a funny way. And I've got, I've got it. The file, I found the file, you know, again in lockdown when I've been going through files. Is, is there a business there waiting like, to come God, out? That, uh, it still reads as a definite business plan. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I. What was the moment where you thought, oh my gosh, I am really famous now. This is, my life is Well, you, it's different. See, because you, you've been in this environment and because of your dad as well, you've had a, a, a you've seen the world through a prism of being recognised. Yeah. Um, and that, that I, I think, as you, as you grow older, that, that influences how you, you expect people to react to you. And, and you know, like I remember the first time I started getting recognised, because I'm not always great at remembering people I went to school with and stuff, and people come on, go, all right, John. And then I think, I'm, I must have gone to school with them. So I go, <laughs> all right, so how are you? And they go, no, fine, it's great. And I go, How's your mum? And they go, do you want to know my mum for you? Because <laughs> I thought, I must know them. Why are they talking to me? And then you kind of reach a point where you go, oh, I don't that's why right. I don't know Well, that's what I was like with my dad growing up because I thought my dad knew everybody. I, you yeah. know, I thought he must be such a friendly man, you know, when I was about six or seven, <laughs> because if you're the child of a footballer, you live in the town generally where they play. Yeah. So, the, so the attention is positive generally, unless <clears throat> yeah. they're having a bad time. People want to say hello. So I, I, and it took me till I was about 15 to stop saying, who's that? Who's yeah, that? And like, you go, mate. Yeah, for God's sake, Gabby, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But he was really good at <clears> chatting <throat> to everybody, which was a nice lesson, I guess, as well, because he was, even though he was painfully shy. And that's the thing that, as you say, when, when you enter that world of celebrity, for want of a better phrase, you don't realise that you've brought everyone else in without, and they didn't vote for that. <laughs> they didn't ask for it. And I always think, you know, it would have been easier if our kids had grown up around it because they wouldn't have had that change. Mm. You know, like, because we moved and where we moved to is a nice area. And so, and I, I never liked the idea that we were paying for their education. And we only did it because the schools that were available to us were in special measures. So we did that thing that you kind of do as a middle-class parent, you do the best that you can for your kid or you think it is. When we moved somewhere that was nicer, I went, well, we can stop doing that. They mm. can go to the local comp, which they did. And they all went to the local sixth form college. And was that and so better on. or worse? And I, but I think for I mean, them... Not, I mean, in terms of how they No, for them, because they, 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 they've always got on with, you know, Everyone. mixed with everybody anyway. But again, in these conversations, I didn't realise that walking into a new comprehensive school when you're 14, 15, mm. with a famous mm. dad, is not the mm. same as walking in without a famous dad. Mm. Now that you have it, I think you're in top 10 Forbes in 2016 in terms of global career uh, earnings for so comedian. Say. So they so say, so say, I mean, I haven't checked your tax records, but I'm <laughs> sure it's all there. But, um, but that's, a, you know, that's a success by anybody's measure, isn't yeah. it? And, and that yeah. is a wonderful position to be in. So how do you, you know, when you get up in the morning, when you've got that level of success, how do you motivate yourself as a comedian? The hardest thing, there was a, a, a phase, 
and it was necessary that I went through it. Where I did a, a tour called a Sunshine Tour, and it was, and it, I, I'd, I'd bounced on, I'd done one tour, done another tour, and then all of a sudden I did this tour, and, and I spoke about being famous and some of the stuff I'd done on telly. Because I thought, I've got to tell these people what it's like. Mm. And there was one reviewer who said, you know, you go and watch John Bishop, and the problem is he's now telling you about his famous celeb mates. And I thought, you've, got, you've missed, missed the yeah. point. I'm telling you that I've walked through a door I was never expecting to walk in. And now this is what it's like. And so I was explaining about what happens when you go on the Jonathan Ross show and stuff like mm. that. But I had to do that because it was felt, it felt to me like I had to explain to everyone out there what it was. Now, when I go, you know, the last tour that I was doing, I'm talking about being in my 50s and getting old and relationships. I don't talk about that anymore because I don't feel a need to yeah. explain it. Because I, I look at it and think, well, if you're, if you're a comedian, what you've got to do is talk to people about a world that they can recognise. And obviously, from my point of view, because the trajectory was so good, I thought I had to explain to everyone mm. what was happening. But well, now I've done that, I don't have to do it again. Well, you're earning millions from tours yeah. to start pretending that, you know, oh, your car's yeah. broken down. Yeah, or yeah. That you, oh, you know, hey. you <laughs> didn't get it. I was doing that flat pack from Ikea. <laughs> you know, because you know, that was the life I lived. I can't pretend that I, I live that that life now in terms of uh, but my life is as normal as more by design than, by design yeah i learned that very very early mm. when, when i started getting recognized and i went through that phase of a uh, you know people you know inviting fame, you places and no but you know you're going out with other famous people and then they're turning up and they've got caps on and Sunglasses and thought, oh, that's the way, that's what you got to do. If you think. How long that did the cap phase last? Oh, it didn't look like, not long, because I just looked like me with a cap on. <laughs> <laughs> so I was not disguised at all. And I also thought, what am I doing? This is just ridiculous. Yeah. You're just drawing attention to yourself. And so the, I think the more normal you are, the more normal everyone is around I think around it helps you. as a comedian as well, doesn't it? To, to retain that yeah, level absolutely, of authenticity. Absolutely, of course, yeah, yeah. So you mentioned getting old, and you've written about getting old as well. What, for you, has been a kind of moment where you felt, oh, I'm not... Because I sometimes forget. I look in the mirror and genuinely I'm shocked that I'm 47 because inside I still feel like I've got the enthusiasm to do projects and take yeah, on yeah. things and, you know, and then... I, oh, I'm not 28 or I'm not... 20. What What is it? Was there a moment in, in the last few years where your kind of mortality hit you in the face? Oh, there's been a few moments. I mean, I had one moment where I had a, a proper health scare. Maggie's come to see you. Uh, I had a proper health scare where um, I'd, had, I'd, I'd been on tour and I couldn't get rid of this cough. And, uh, and I went to... You know they're quite popular. Yeah, yeah, these days they're like, you know, I started the trend. And I um, couldn't get rid of this cough and I went to the GP and he said, look, you've had it for now for more than 10 weeks and the NHS policy is that we've got to send you for the chest x-ray. He said, but I, can't, I don't think there's anything there. Send me for a chest x-ray. Uh, comes back, says everything's fine. And then, then the week later he phoned me up. He said, look, I'm really sorry. The chest x-ray has been reviewed and uh, you've got shadows on your, both of your lungs. And I went, oh my God. I said, what's that mean? He said, well, I don't want to prompt anything, but it, that's never good. No. He said, so I, I suggest you, uh, he said, I, I will try and get 
a scan done as quickly as I can or, or go down the private route and try and get it done as, as soon as you can. So I booked a scan at the, the local hospital and Melanie heard me talking about it, booking a scan and she thought it was for one of my parents saying, what's wrong? Because I didn't want her to know. So in the end, I, I told her. She came with me and it was one of those things that I thought... Why did you want her to know? Because if it was what it could have been, it was, you know, there was no way out of it. It was also one of those things that I thought, oh my God, that's it, this could... Because he basically said, if this is cancer in both lungs, there's not a lot like we can do about it. Uh, and I thought, and there's a moment where I thought, oh God, that's good, isn't it? At least I've had a go, you know what I mean? I can have a rest now. <laughs> I don't have to worry about anything because I'm going to die. And uh, so there's an element of that in it. But then I went for this scan and, and, uh, and he did the scan. And it, it, it turned out for some, somewhere, in my life, I've broken my sternum. And unbeaten, obviously, as a kid, when not in it. And so there's a big lump of calcium at the oh front my, of my like sternum. calcium deposits at yeah. the front of your sternum. Which, which when, when the X-ray from the front throws shadows into my lungs. Wow. So the X-ray looked like there was nothing down for me, but the, obviously the scan was. And that was so what... you had literally went in and came out with a complete Clean bill of health. Clean bill of health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just got a really hard chest. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was one of those things that I went in thinking somebody here could tell me I've not got long mm. left. And that was a real mortality moment where you think, right, have I done the right thing by everyone I wanted to do? Have I lived the life I wanted to live? Have I, you know? And there's always going to be regrets in life. But I, I, I kind of resign myself to think, well, all right, for everything I've got right and everything I've got wrong, the balance is more right than wrong. Did you have a checklist as well of things that you would have done if you had the worst news? Um, no, because I tried to do it. I actually thought, right, what am I going to do if I do a bucket list? Because I've been in that situation before with other people who've had bucket lists, and one of them is to like come and see you and stuff like that. I thought, right, I'll try and write a bucket list down. And I just, I just had a uh, stay at home more. That was the number one. And look what happened. <laughs> We've all got it. But I did, I just, I just thought, I thought, I, I thought, I don't need to write yeah. anything else. Yeah. I just need to be at home more. And so that, that's a major kind of, I imagine a moment of clarity yeah. in your mind in terms of what it did for you with your health. You're already a vegan and you have been for a long time. You haven't jumped on any recent bandwagon. This is a, a lifestyle no, choice for a long, long time. No, I haven't eaten meat now uh, for 35 years. Wow. And, and the veganism has been more recently. Uh, you never overweight. You used to be a footballer. You've done an incredible. Don't say, don't say I'm never overweight. One of my mates was in our garden the other day, and uh, and Melanie Melanie loves it if anyone calls me fat. She thinks it's so <laughs> funny. And he did this BMI test, and apparently on the BMI, I'm high. Kenny and Ruben are grossly and morbidly yeah. obese on well, the BMI. They, so. I tell you what, they've. Because on another time I had I had I had this because I had this thing done then I had the skeleton scan as well and apparently I genuinely have a heavy skeleton <laughs> genuinely <laughs> you're heavy boned I'm heavy boned so but you did that amazing comic relief challenge which raised four point two million I think o overall I can't believe no. I'm not talking to Sir John Bishop you must have done something wrong to not yeah. get the knighthood yeah. but um but you did 
what was it, a triathlon in, well, you, you cycled the length of France. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I basically carried the world on my back and ran up a hill. No, I, um, it was a thing that uh, Greg White devised, who, who, who advises comic relief and sport relief all the time on these things. And it's a challenge, but the challenge is normally the other way. And it's, it, it was like people run to the coast, swim over, and then cycle to Paris or something like that. And in the end, we had to adapt it to come back. back yeah. uh, you got to have the glory moment in London. You exactly, glory yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, a cycle from Paris to Calais, which was 186 miles. Then, instead of swimming, it was rowing across. Uh, and then, and then instead of, because I think the, the challenge that Greg referred to was a cycle from, cycle, swim, cycle. And then it was a run. I did a run. So I cycled, rowed, and then ran. And how did your body feel? That, you were how old at this at this point? 42. Mid-40s. Oh, early 40s then. Yeah, yeah. So how did you, did you feel as fit as you'd ever felt at that point? And no, cause I underestimated it massively. I did 12 weeks training and not properly. Mm. And um, I, I did massively underestimate it. I didn't know how much you were acting. It looked painful. It I mean, was, I think yeah. you were close to tears, weren't you? Uh, oh, I'm, I'm not close. I was <laughs> blubbling like a big uh, baby. No, I, um, towards the end, the last, um, the last day when I was running, I just kept on getting pains. And then they did that thing where they stopped me to check me. And then Greg checked me, and then the doctor checked me, and the physio checked me, and they all went away and had a chat because he thought. See whether you could come back on in the second half. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> fortunately, it just ended up being shin splints, but he thought it was hairline fracture, oh. and I still had 12 miles to run. Oh no. And I just said, I said, I'm. I've got, I've got to finish. It was your Derek Redmond moment. Do you remember oh, that? 92 and yeah. when his dad carried him around the yeah, track. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but my dad wasn't there. But, uh, but Mel was, would have carried you around. It was so painful. So painful. I don't well, know how people run with shin um, splints. I've always admired Greg, the way Greg White kind of gets you guys through. I think he did the Venus Challenge, didn't he? Yeah, and he he's did done David Williams as well. And I've, I've interviewed him actually a few times for, from a sports science perspective, yeah. talking about things like the, the marathon world record. And so I thought it'd be good to have a chat with him about really a kind of male obsession with lycra-clad activities in middle age, because it does, I mean, especially- He's the king of it. <laughs> he is, he's the grand inventor. So let's get him on the line. So I have just the man to talk to when it comes to that obsession with donning the lycra at a certain age, uh, <laughs> Professor Greg White, who, uh, John, you know very, very well. And Greg, you've helped many people uh, through the most arduous and difficult of tasks uh, through comic and sport relief. And that's probably where people know you best, kind of cheering on uh, those poor souls as they do <laughs> terrible things. But why is it that I see so many men in packs on bikes and out doing ultra runs and and it does tend to be i mean more women and more women are kind of getting into it i think but um it seems to be a certain age as well doesn't it the attraction it, you know and it is it, i mean you'll see me donning lycra uh, on two regular occasion actually but it's, uh, <laughs> it, I, I, you know we i mean we coin it middle-aged men in lycra i mean we, we you know we've actually it's so common that we, we've got a sort of catchphrase for them um, and I think, I mean, if you think about it, it's a very recent phenomenon. I mean, it is sort of, you know, circa the last decade, probably really the sort of last five to six years that we've really seen a, an explosion in that. Um, I think it was probably coined around men initially because it, it, it was driven by cycling. 
Um, and, and, you know, as you well know, as many of us know, is that the, the coverage of women's sport is, let's call it woeful, shall we, but growing. But I certainly think that obviously things like the Tour de France, I think the success of Team GP at the Olympic Games on track, it, it, you know, it grew almost exponentially an explosion of middle-aged men who watched the Tour de France and thought that they could be Bradley Wiggins or Chris Froome. And so therefore they donned a Lycra and got on a bike. In a way, you, you wouldn't watch the World Cup and think you could be Lionel Messi, would you? No. Because, you know, as well as the extraordinary fitness levels, there is skill which comes from the age of about three. As soon as you can dribble a ball, you're that's what you're doing. And gymnastics, you're not going to suddenly go in the gym and decide you're going to take up, you know, I'm going to do the rings or I'm going to do the high bar. So I guess cycling... It, without wanting to denigrate it at all, it's quite straightforward, isn't it? You know, in, in terms of learning a skill and, and then it's all about fitness. And so is it the kind of fitness that the middle age is, is naturally kind of uh, comfortable with, you know, because it's not about huge bursts of speed, is it? Yeah. I mean, it, I, it's a great point. I mean, it, it's, I mean, we call it linear endurance is what we call it. And it's just that repetition. I mean, you know, at the same time, what you've seen is, is the, the explosion in running, uh, you know, kicked off in, in the, the early 80s with the London Marathon. And now we see, you know, thousands and thousands of people, millions of people running marathons globally. Um, and, and then it, that's sort of led on to things like Park Run and the, the millions of people again across the globe. Who Which is amazing. Park Run is, yeah, you know, amazing. And Couch to 5K, all of that is I just think a phenomenal success yeah. in terms of getting people motoring. And, and I think you point to the reason why it is successful is because actually it's simple. It's the simplicity of it, which is what makes it attractive. And I think, you know, going back to cycling, it, it is simple. You get on a bike and you, and you push the pedals around and you move forward. And, and the wonderful thing about that is it's almost instantly rewarding is you get to go to places that you wouldn't normally go to. You get a view that you wouldn't normally get if you're in your car, you've got time, depending on how fast you're going to, to, to look at it. You know, for running, you just need a pair of trainers. You don't have to have expensive mm. equipment. But at the same time, I think perhaps the reason why we see it in cycling is because it's boys with toys. Uh, and it, it's amazing how much men, men in particular, will spend on a bike. They won't, they won't oh, yeah. necessarily do the training that's required, but they're more than happy to <laughs> spend a All the gear and no idea. Is that what well, you're... Do you know what? There's an awful lot of that. And, and, and of course, what, you then ha what then happens is that you, you bring those all together and what, what you see is the most, the, the most successful uh, sport globally, and certainly in, in terms of numbers, is triathlon. Yeah. Uh, and, and the wonderful thing about triathlon is it is simple. It's, it's three linear endurance events. Um, there is lots of spandex. You know, there's lots of showing off. There are lots of toys and gadgets that you can buy from, you know, <laughs> what you wear trips. on your wrist. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, and I think for me, one of, the, one of the classic things that has happened of recent times is actually the explosion in what we call it masters events or, or age group events mm. is that, you know, if I think when I was, when I was an Olympian, I mean, age group events didn't really exist. No. Uh, and yet now every sport, every sport, that you can mention mm. has age group events. When it comes to cycling, there's age group on the track as well as the road, triathlon age groups. And like you say, there are some great road trips that you can now have as a, as a veteran or an age grouper. You get, you get that kind of perfect confluence as well of um, that midlife where you've 
you've kind of got to a certain earning capacity and, you know, maybe your kids are kind of getting a bit more independent. So you've got a bit of extra disposable cash. And so it's not something that necessarily in your early 20s, when you've got babies, it's very hard to justify, you know, going out. Yeah. I remember I stopped playing golf for quite a long time because I just couldn't justify going out for five hours, you know, when I yeah. had babies. That didn't seem like a very fair thing to do. And as your kids are getting older, it's it's definitely a lifestyle thing. And also you cycle with your kids, which is lovely. But what should we be doing in midlife? Are those long distance events the best thing for us? The, the first thing to think about is that I, I think we missold a dogma in society. And that is that as we get older, we can start taking it easy. Uh, that is utterly erroneous. Uh, it is absolutely the c complete antithesis of what we should be doing. And that is that as we age, what we should be doing is working harder. Uh, what we have, sadly, men and women, um, is we have this inexorable decline in physical capacity. Uh, we lose muscle mass, a process called sarcopenia. Um, we lose aerobic capacity. Um, and, and effectively, performance starts to drop off. Now, what, what we can do with the right intervention, with the right exercise, with the right approach, is we can offset that. It is inexorable. It will happen. But it, when you take a look at some great age group athletes you know, into their 50s and 60s and 70s, they are still smashing out performances. And what they've done is that they're not as quick as they were when they were 30, but nonetheless, what they've done is they've slowed that, 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 that inexorable decline. But that only comes about by working harder than you did when you were a kid. All things considered then, because not everybody can give up the, the time and you know, the, 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 those cycles, sometimes they're four or five hours, aren't they? People are going out for on a yeah. Sunday morning and during the week. So what's the most effective kind of training if you're only going to do one thing if you're listening to this and you're thinking okay i'm 42 you know i'm i'm hearing this and i'm seeing where my you know my strength's going and my conditioning what should i do what's the best use of my time wow the simplest answer is that do what you enjoy uh, I, I think that's really important is that because if you do what you enjoy you'll do it for longer you will work harder at it and you'll keep doing it uh, and so it's far too many times i mean i speak to clients of mine who come in and say oh, i'm Next year, I want to run the London Marathon. And I say to them, the first question I ask them is, do you like running? You know, and many of them say, no, I hate it. But, but, it, but it's, it's like this social thing. that If you are going to do something, oh, you've got to run the London Marathon. Yeah, the and actually now, is. you know, sport, and, and, and sort of people expect you kind of to do that. And sportifs have become a bit like that. But actually, I think critically, the first thing to do is think you've got do what you enjoy and what you love and what you're passionate about. And that makes all the difference. What if they say eating crisps? <laughs> well, that, you know, I guess as Abraham Lincoln once said, whatever you are, be a good one. So <laughs> if you're going to eat crisps, make sure you're really going to eat them. Um, apart from prawn cocktail, nobody should eat those, but that's a different story. Um, uh, you know, I think what, I, I would say that one, one of the things that most people miss out uh, when they're training, and this is probably because there is this penchant to move into endurance, People are drawn towards linear endurance and going longer. Um, but I think strength mm. is one of the critical factors as we age, is that, that we, we do lose muscle mass. Men at uh, a more accelerated rate than women, particularly as they move into their mid-30s and beyond. Um, and, and with that loss of muscle mass comes loss of strength, loss of power. Uh, and all of those things, they underpin performance, crucially, but also they underpin uh, health in yeah. terms of in terms of injury injury prevalence. obviously have, you know a huge part of what's going on in men and women as they're in the midlife and yeah. is it true that strength training helps to keep those testosterone levels up 
what we know is that particularly when it comes to growth hormone, uh, and we've, we've published a whole host of studies around this, is that, that exercise is crucial in, in increasing growth hormone secretion. Uh, and what we know within that is that the higher the intensity, the greater the growth hormone secretion. So again, it, it points towards this issue of, of working harder mm. as we get older. And I think what we shouldn't be is, is afraid of actually pushing ourselves. I think sometimes as we age, we sort of think, oh, you know, perhaps we shouldn't go that mm. hard. We shouldn't lift that much. We shouldn't go that fast. Actually, as long as everything else is well, as long as we are in good health and, and we have no underlying conditions, we can push ourselves as hard as we ever did. Um, that doesn't mean to say that it'll be the same power output at the same speed, but we should be pushing ourselves from a, what we call it a perception of effort. We should be pushing ourselves to as hard as we possibly can as we age, and that will help combat those changes in specific hormones as well as other factors. Greg, thank you so much. Inspiring uh, as ever. And um, I think you've basically just said you can't take your foot off the gas. That's that's. <laughs> Don't take your foot off the gas. You're that's, absolutely that's right. That's bad news. <laughs> in fact, in fact put, your foot, put your foot down harder on the gas. That's what I okay, say. Okay, will do. Thank you. Was he interesting to work with, Greg? He was, but when I was building up to do the runs, because I'd never run a marathon before, and on, the, and on this particular challenge, I think the first day was like 30 miles, and then I think it was 28 and 29 or something like that. So it was, a, it was a mixed thing. And so I thought he'd say, right, in order to be able to do that, you've got to go and run 10 miles today, and then you've got to go and run 12 miles tomorrow. And he didn't. He said, right, just go out for a 40-minute run. Doesn't matter how didn't far. set the pace, go out for a 40 minute run, do that for a couple of weeks and then and then make it 50 minutes. And it was all about the time because what he was saying is you will, like you, you could tell talking to him, he's got such a positive attitude, he says you will do it, mm. you will mm. do it. The only thing that will stop you doing it is your mind. Mm. So you've got to train, train mm. your mind to know that this is just something I do. Mm. And the longer it gets used to you just bobbling along jogging, You'll finish it. Mm. It's your mind that will say, God, I've been running for two hours. But isn't that the way with so many things as well? You know, moving on from physical activity, our mind, and especially in this period of our life, our mind is the limiting factor, isn't it? You know, when I think about projects I want to do and things I want to start, and then I doubt myself, I go, oh, but 47, is it, you know, is it? Is there still time oh, to yeah, do things? And, listen, and the have... mind is really loud, isn't it, at this uh, age? Yeah, and there's also that thing, like, I've had it with, with you know, as you say, I've been really lucky in the trajectory of my career. So you think, right, I've just, you know, just done a big arena tour and go, oh, is that the last one? Shall I just, or, you know, shall I now just aim on phases or, and, and you know, you speak to other people in the profession, they go, what, what are you talking about? Mm. You're, you're still seen in that bracket. They're not thinking of you as a, middle-aged bloke in his 50s you just, you're just the but do you think as well it's because we've had this kind of obsession with youth as well and that maybe we don't value kind of longevity in careers you know i remember going to watch bruce forsyth at the palladium one yeah. of his last shows and he was an incredible performer and it was just yeah. unbelievable watching him up close you know having been on strictly and this is a man whose career was 60 70 years yeah. long he never thought of stopping he never thought well in it's his interesting because i remember going to see ken dodd and a similar thing he was in his 80s then and there's a stagecraft and an ability and, and being being an entertainer helps. I think when you're in... You're like the dog man, by the way. All the dogs. All the dogs, just, all me, the dogs want you. All the dogs. <laughs> but there is, a, uh, there is a, a thing about 
There is a thing about because you can do that as an entertainer because you're getting uh, you're getting the uh, rewards back. People mm. are clapping and cheering. So if you're in your fifties, like a lot of people are, who are probably listening to this in a corporate environment or in their job, and they've got the young whippersnappers coming up, or they've even got a boss who's now younger than them, and then you start doubting yourself and you feel you're getting edged out the door. Because you haven't got that validation of other people saying you're brilliant, mm -hmm. you're great, and that's what a round of applause gives you. That's where it's difficult and challenging, and that's why I always look at myself and think I'm, the choice I made is an even better choice now than it was when I was 40, mm. because now I would be that person not sure of myself. And also, in those environments that you, you know, you've put my mind into a kind of office environment where technology is a huge part yeah. of their lives, and, and technology has changed so much in our yeah. lives, you know, and our kids have a very different relationship with technology, don't they? And uh, sometimes that really scares me, you know, and I kind of, I don't know what the future is for them because so much of their lives on screen. I, I, for me, I had uh, I had the argument with one of my lads the other day about something. It wasn't row arguments. Heated debate. Uh, yeah, it was just like, I just said, listen, I'm right. And he said, how do you know you're right? And I said, because I've been here longer than you. So there's a good chance that my assessment of this situation is right because I've been around the block a few times. And I think that's what you need to ingrain. When you get to this this age, this midlife age, you need to value what you know instead of doubt what you don't. And I think that is a big thing. And when you talk to someone like Greg, they instill that confidence in people to say, look, you know, your body can do this, you can do this. You're telling you mm. what you can't do. Embrace your own wisdom. It, yeah, embrace the fact that, you know, wherever you are now, you've had like I was saying to saying to uh, Daniel the other day, the lad, you know, the kid I was having the kid, his son, he was man. having that debate with. There's there's a bit about going. If I've lived this life even ten years longer than you, regardless of the fact that it's twenty odd years longer than you, I have experienced things and seen things through a filter that you haven't got, and I think that should be enhanced more. And what's happening in the workplace now is that because ageism is not permitted there are people who are perhaps being seen in a different way than they used to be because the automatic thing was look if you're not in that senior position by the time you've turned 50 it'll never happen whereas now let's be honest when you're turning 50 you've still got 20 years mm -hmm. of work left you can start like you were talking about you know that that lady you rented the house off starting a new career at 30 you think about it you could start something like, you could start something like 50 Hmm. You're gonna be doing it for the next twenty years. Yeah, it's worth trading for. Exactly. Are you hopeful finally? I look at myself now and I'm fifty-three. And I you know, I, I had my first tennis lesson uh yesterday. Cause I've decided at fifty-three I'm gonna take up a completely new sport that I've never never done. I've never played a perfect uh, a professional, uh, professional level before. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Really his, his aims are just a bit high here. I've, took, like, I've got to manage his expectations. I've never, played, I've never played a competitive game of tennis. I've knocked the ball, but I've never played a competitive game. And I'm thinking, right, I'm going to join a club. And I might do the same with golf. And I'm going to do these things that I, I, so I want to, to make myself Keep challenging yourself is so important, isn't it? It's so, it's so important. Because I used to play a lot of football and I don't play any now because I can see myself getting worse. So when you see yourself getting worse... Move on to a new sport. Do something else <laughs> and see yourself getting better. 
that's a great way to end. Yes. Thank you so much, John. It's been lovely as always. Thank and you. I can't wait to take you on on the tennis court. Oh, I'm <laughs> loving that. Seeing as we both got coached by the same fella. <laughs> Thank you so much to John Bishop for being our first guest on Midpoint. He's an inspiration, isn't he? And if you're thinking of starting something new, go for it. Get your energy behind it. I, however, I'm going to have to really improve my tennis practice. And now, if you're looking to take Greg White's advice and push your exercise that little bit harder, have a look at Solgar's website because they've got a full range of supplements, including ones tailored to help you achieve sport and fitness goals. Thank you so much to Solgar, to Emily Arthur, Holly Bott and Blaise McGowan at YMU, to producer Emma Corsham at Rethink Audio, and to you for listening. I'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.